Oh, good evening, everyone. At this time of year, um, we're all absolutely aware that in the Christian world, people are thinking about Jesus, um, that he was born. And they might be thinking of him as the, the meek and mild Jesus, the little baby born in a manger, um, the cute little pictures that come to mind there. And people might go all soft and sentimental uh, about it. Or, or they may just be focused on exchanging presents. Um, what I would like to do with you this evening is to explore some of the message of the Bible. To look at the reasons why Jesus was born. And what it tells us about the future. Let's look first of all at Matthew chapter 1. So right at the beginning of the, 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 the Gospels in the New Testament, we are told when we, we go to the narrative, we are told that there was a message to Joseph that his fiancée was going to have a miracle child. Um, Matthew chapter 1 and, and verse 20 and the reason why it was going to be a miracle birth. While Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. And it says wife there. Um, in, in those days, someone was committed uh, as, a, as the fiancé was almost as good as married. But the, the marriage had not taken place and there'd been no sexual relations between the two of them. Uh, and... This was something that had been bothering um, Joseph, the situation with his uh, fiancée Mary. He said, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, for, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So, so there was a message to, to Joseph. He'd found himself in this situation where his fiancée was pregnant. He didn't know why, didn't know how. It couldn't have happened as far as he was concerned. But the angel tells him God is involved. God is involved in this. His power has caused her to conceive because she is going to bring forth a son. The name will be called Jesus, a name that tells us that he would be a saviour. He will save his people from their sins. And we notice that the message from the angel says, this is fulfilling what was written earlier. It's back in the Old Testament. We're not going to go there. But if you want to go there yourselves, please do so in your own time. Find out where it says that a virgin shall be with child, that verse 23. Where is that in the Old Testament? The message I want to take from that is that Jesus was to be born. He was to be a saviour. And if we just think of the characteristics of a saviour, somebody who is going to save people, um, we might think of our own experience uh, of people who save others. Maybe in a, a more mundane situation than what we know of Jesus. 
and what the Bible tells us of how Jesus, or what Jesus is going to save people from. But if you think about, for example, a lifeboat man, you think of somebody who is resolute, somebody who is strong, somebody who is courageous, somebody who has tenacity to keep going in the face of all adversity to do the task that he has been given. A lifeboat man is there when he's on call to save somebody's life, somebody who's in danger. And until he's done, he's not going to give up. And how often do we hear stories of that? Well, what we'll find is, we'll just see a couple of snippets, but Jesus is the same, even more so. He had tremendous tenacity. He had tremendous strength of resolve. And he was committed to what he'd been given to do as his task, to take it uh, to the finishing point. So we'll, we'll think about that uh, a little bit later, we'll recall that later uh, in, in my discussion. What I want to do now is go from the message that was given to Joseph to go to the message that was given to Mary, who was to be the mother uh, of Jesus. And this is actually going a little bit back in time, but come with me to Luke chapter, three, uh, Luke chapter 1. This is going back, uh, I, I guess, possibly a matter of days or weeks um, to, to this point. Luke in chapter 1. Again we find an angel of God is involved and brings this message to Mary. Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. Just to get the context, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we've got these two complementary pictures, two complementary messages, one given to Joseph, one given to Mary. Jesus is to be a saviour, is to save his people from their sins, Jesus is to be a king, and a king that's like no other, a king who will reign forever over the throne of his father David, his ancestor David, uh, David the king of Judah and Israel uh, that we find in the Old Testament. <coughs> there were other people who, at the time Jesus was born, looked for a king um, forgive me we're going back to Matthew to Matthew chapter 2 I should have told you to keep your fingers there um, or a finger there but Matthew chapter 2 and again if we're familiar with the Christmas stories then we, we, we know of this we maybe think of three kings well it says here three it doesn't even say three it says wise men 
Let's go in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now after this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, not saying where's the baby Jesus, they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Let's just read on. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all, Israel, all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and all the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh, just a piece of information. Christ, uh, the anointed, um, is linked with kingship. So where is he, where is the Christ that was to be born? Where should he be born? So they said to him, the chief priests and the scribes said to the king, King Herod, Well, yes, we know where he should be born. It's in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It is, it's where they went back to. So the people who knew their Bibles knew exactly what was promised. That there was a king promised. There was a king to be born. And that he would be born in Judah, Bethlehem of Judah. And so those wise men, although they came from the far east, or from further east than Jerusalem and Bethlehem, they also knew that something special was happening, that a king had been born. They had been looking for him as well. So, so there was this knowledge at the time that Jesus was to be born, uh, that there was to, have to be a king born, an anointed one. And, and the, the importance of the prophecy in Micah, that's there in verse 6, uh, quoted by the scribes and the, and the chief priests. I'll leave you to go back and do some homework if you like. Matthew, Micah chapter 5. Go back and look at the context. See what was happening at the time. God was saying to the people, you're going to be without a king. I'm going to, dis to bring the current kingship to an end. But there will be a ruler. There will be a ruler. Um, the, the, the kingdom was to cease, but would be reinstated. So let's now consider this thing of kingship of Jesus and consider what happened in his life. What was the experience of Jesus? What was his attitude to this kingship? Come with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 6. Now in John chapter 6, the first part of the chapter is dealing with one of the famous, well-known miracles that Jesus did. Feeding 5,000 men plus women and children from five loaves and two fishes. That's the beginning of the chapter. 
And what an amazing impact that must have had on the people who were there, who had been listening to Jesus and had got somewhat hungry because he'd been with him so long and then he gave them some food. But they'd only started with five loaves and two fishes. That had an amazing impact on them. So much so that we read in verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, speaking of the miracle of feeding them all, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So they were looking for a prophet. They were looking for an important person. And they were looking for him and they recognised Jesus as being that man. But what did Jesus do? Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed away. He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. The people saw him as their promised king. And Jesus disappeared from it. He, he, he disappeared from the, the moment. Took himself away so that the people could not make him king. Why might that have been? Why was it that Jesus did that? Jesus knew his Bible. He knew his what to us is our Old Testament. He knew these quotes just as much as the people that he was with. But he didn't want to be made king at that point. And we'll come to that later because Jesus knew more of what there was in the Old Testament. And he was committed to his task, but he wasn't going to do the wrong thing. Let's just take the, the kingship a little bit further um, and, and recognize, identify what other people thought and found and said about Jesus. We'll go to the crucifixion, to, to Matthew chapter 27, the record there. And, and we, we find there that people were concerned with this question, was he king? <coughs> Matthew chapter 27. And I'm just going to go in at verse 11, first of all. We'll just take a few verses from this chapter just to, to see references to Jesus as king. Or this question of Jesus being king. Jesus, verse 11, stood before the governor. He's facing Pilate. He's under trial. The governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. So the statement of Jesus being king. And Jesus doesn't deny it. In fact, he says in the King James, New King James Version, it reads, It is as you say. <coughs> Excuse me. We go down to verse 27. And by this time, Jesus has been committed to crucifixion, he's been delivered to be crucified. In verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him 
And when they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knees, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So they made fun of the situation. They saw, well, what's this strong king? He's not doing anything about it. Um, he's a king and he can't do anything about it. We'll just mock him. And then we come to verse 37. Pilate seemed to have a bit more of an idea than the soldiers who just mocked him. Because he had commanded them, verse 37, to put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, uh, the King of the Jews. And we find in another of the Gospel records that he was asked to take it down. That's false. Change it. And Pilate said, no, I'm not going to change it. What I've written, I have written. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. A very strong statement. Not the same as the mocking of the soldiers. But they don't have Jesus being spoken of as being king. What of the disciples of Jesus? What did they think? I'm actually going to go on to, to think and to, to remind us of what a couple of disciples who had been with Jesus said as they considered the events after the crucifixion. They had lost their leader. They had lost their master. It's Luke chapter 24. And there were two disciples that were so distraught that Jesus had been being killed that they had started to go home. They'd started to go home to Emmaus. Uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse uh, verse 21 is our key verse. They, from verse 13 uh, on the road to Emmaus, two of them were travelling that same day to a village called Emmaus. They were talking about everything that they'd experienced. And Jesus drew near and went with them, verse 15. And they got into conversation with Jesus, not knowing that it was Jesus. They thought he was just a passerby and somebody else on the road. Um, and verse 18, one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and you've not known the things that happened there in these days? What things? Oh, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. They saw that Jesus was going to be a major redeemer. Somebody to free them from the power of the Romans. Someone who was going to be a bit more king-like. And they were most distraught. But they thought of Jesus as being king-like. To help the nation 
to redeem them. And we come further on in the record uh, to Acts. We were in Acts at the, for the introductory reading. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Because after having been with the risen Jesus for 40 days, the disciples knew and were conf- had, had, knew an awful lot more about what Jesus was, had the mission of Jesus was and how it was going to come about that he was in fact yes he definitely was still to be king and they were reassured in that but they came in Acts chapter 1 as they journeyed out of Jerusalem they started asking Jesus questions verse 6 Acts chapter 1 verse 6 therefore when they had come together they asked Jesus saying Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the immediate answer of Jesus to their question, Are you going to be king? Is it going to happen now? Jesus said, I've got a job for you. Go and tell everybody about it. And I don't know exactly when I'm going to be king. But you've got a job. Go and do it. But I will be king. And and that reassurance comes to us when we, and to the, the disciples, when they continued with Jesus. Verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So we have a strong message to these people that Jesus was going to be king, but it wasn't yet. And Jesus was going to return to be king. There's one critical verse that I meant to go to in, in the Gospels uh, about Jesus and how he dealt with the subject of being, what he thought of being king and what it meant to him. Um, and we're going to go back there now, uh, a little bit out of sequence with what I'd originally planned. Um, but we've spoken about Jesus not wanting to be king after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus wanted to just disappear out of the situation, and he did. Jesus knew that he was to be king. Um, Matthew chapter 21. (coughs) And in time, this is just in the, the time shortly before Jesus was to be tried and then was going to be crucified. The record tells us this. Matthew chapter 21 and the first five verses. 
Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the record there tells us that this was Jesus doing something very deliberately, knowing that it spoke of him as being king. We've seen that he was crucified and that he wasn't going to be king at that time. But he had a message for the people. If they understood their scriptures, he was reminding them. And Matthew tells us it's because of something that was written earlier in the Bible. Let's go there. It's Zechariah, second last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9. So from the gospel record, we're told that this applies to Jesus. Let's read it in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And just as you read that, you immediately think back to the first reference that we went to when, J J uh, when Joseph was told that Jesus would save his people. He would bring salvation. But here it is. A king coming lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And let's read on in Zechariah. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so we're having been reading in Matthew and seeing Jesus doing something that spoke of him as being king and coming back to the Old Testament record we find a bit more about the kingship of Jesus. It's going to be global. It's going to be one of peace. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. If you'd like another bit of homework, go and have a read of Psalm 72 and see what it tells you of a king that is coming. It, it, there's, there's an echo um, from verse 10 in Psalm 72 and verse 8 where it speaks of this 
the spread, the geographical spread of the kingdom. But as you read through Psalm 72, you'll find a lot more uh, that's spoken of there, uh, of the kingdom of this king. Some of Psalm 72 may apply to Solomon, who was the son of David, a great king who had a great and peaceful kingdom. But there are things in, the pro- in that psalm as well that haven't been fulfilled yet. And so I put it to you, it speaks to this king here and that is going to reign even Jesus, the son of God. So that's a little bit extra homework for you. If you you want to have a look and then come back and ask me questions afterwards, please, please do so. What I want to do is is now continue um, to think about the impact that the instructions of Jesus had on the disciples and on the people in Jerusalem at the time. So Acts, we were in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus was taken up into heaven. Um, we remember in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus promised to his disciples that they would be given the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would be helped in their preaching work to spread the gospel. And that's what we find happening in Acts chapter 2 that we read with Norman. Um, Peter standing up and speaking to the people. And the reason that people thought they might be drunk was that they seemed to be babbling. At least, depending on who you listen to, you might think they were babbling because they were speaking in foreign languages. They were speaking to multiple people, people of multiple languages uh, that had come into Jerusalem at this time. But I want to consider some of the message that Peter gives to them. Um, And we read quite a section. I'm not going to go through all of that. I want to focus on verse 30 through to verse 36. Because this, Peter is taking us back constantly to the Old Testament. To the things that were written about Jesus. Particularly by David the psalmist. But in in, in verse 30... Peter has just said to them, um, you know, David is absolutely dead. He's buried and his tomb is with us today. Verse 30. But being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Um, Christ the anointed, Christ the King. He says Jesus is to be in heaven for a period of time. But we've also learned that Jesus was to save his people from their sins. And and that's also wrapped up in this section uh, of Peter's speech. (coughs) 
Because as we read on, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They hadn't seen it. They hadn't understood. And yet this Jesus, who is God's anointed to be king, they had been party to his crucifixion. <coughs> so the people were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, for your sins to be wiped out so that you might be saved and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, with many other words, verse 40, be, be saved from this perverse generation. And many people responded to that call. But we see there that Jesus had focused on the fact that he had to be saviour in his life for others and then he was to be king it was if you like the cross before the crown he had been strong he had been resolute in his life to do exactly as God wanted it wasn't for the people to make him king it was for God to make him king at the right time and Jesus had to do everything in his life to obey his father and it brings us hope as well. The resurrection of Jesus in this chapter is absolutely crucial to our relationship to Jesus and our hope of salvation. And that's brought out in the writings of Paul the Apostle as well. And I want to go there as our last reference to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter that speaks about the resurrection of Jesus and tells us how important it is, how crucial it is. Without the resurrection, there is no point in the life of Jesus. So let's just go into chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And here Paul's referring to the fact that right in the very beginning Adam and Eve sinned and so mankind was to die we would have a limited life so as in Adam all die he says even so in Christ all shall be made alive so those who have a relationship with Christ can be made alive and we've seen what Peter said earlier the important thing there was baptism that we might be in Christ then he goes on to say, verse 23, each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. There it is again, Jesus is coming back. 
Then he comes then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. So he's coming back as king and he will have a kingdom. And the end will come when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When's that? When he has put down <coughs> when he has put an end to all rule and all authority and power. When that speaking peace to the nations has finally brought about peace. When all opposition to that peace has been done away and there is no opposition. So Jesus will reign until all rule and all authority and power, he puts an end to it. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him, that is God, God who put all things under him, is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And so Jesus is going to reign until the earth is completely subject to his rule and authority. When everyone will do as God bids us to do. And when all we learn elsewhere will be made, will be immortal and will live forever in that kingdom. As Peter says, as we read in Peter. Uh, Peter's speech the call to be linked with Jesus is to be baptised to be saved from our sins so Jesus was born and the world a lot of the people around us in the world are thinking of the fact that Jesus was born are they thinking any more about the message? I hope we are, that we are thinking about Jesus, knowing that he was born to be saviour, that he was born to be king, that he was crucified, but he was raised from the dead. And he is coming back to take that kingship that he has been given. And so I would ask you, not just to remember Jesus at Christmas or at Easter when you might remember his death and his resurrection but that you remember him all year round because <coughs> we're looking for Jesus to come back we're looking for him to come as king and in Mark chapter 13 we read these words no one knows the day or the hour these are the words of Jesus. But of that day, the day when Jesus returns to be king, of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know 
when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest suddenly, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And so I say to what I say to you, I say to all, says Jesus. Watch. So if we're going to listen to Jesus and to see him as our coming king, then we have to remember him all year round, that we might be watching, waiting and ready for his return, whenever that might be. And so I put it to you that we remember Jesus because he is coming back.